Schofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. You heard it. Reno, Vegas. Adam Candy's here. Demond is here. It's Cofield, Cofield and Company on a Thursday. You know, we actually didn't put in the rundown today, and we uh, had a little bit of chatter yesterday, but Xavier Pope, one of our legal insiders, was just talking about Reggie Bush and the defamation suit. What do you think? What's going to happen with him in the NCAA? I mean, look, it, Reggie Bush has already gotten farther than I ever thought Reggie Bush would get uh, in coming back against the NCAA. And it's amazing how much sentiment is still behind him. I remember you know, being down in L.A., driving around uh, with the Yankees games and seeing billboards along the 405 saying, give Reggie Bush his Heisman back. Like There is still a lot of sentiment behind him. I'll, I'll leave the legal merits of the case to Xavier, who seems to think that he's got a good chance. Be a nice victory, wouldn't it? And I, I've seen some people who were like, oh, just let it go. Like, Why let it go? Right? Why let it go? Um, and I know this is, this is kind of an extreme example of whataboutism, but this, this is one that I will accept. And uh, I don't often in college where, you know, when programs and fans are like, well, we got caught, but so did, you know, these other schools are cheating too. You got caught. You got caught. But the, the, fe- the lengths to which the NCAA went with the Heisman, you know, then bullying USC to take down all the honors is completely ridiculous. And frankly, USC should have moved on this earlier. USC should, probably should have said a couple of years ago, F you to the NCAA, come after us. Reggie's getting his number retired, and we're putting his, his honors back up all around our football facility in the stadium, and there's not a G-damn thing you can do about it. I don't know why they didn't do that. They've been actually very respectful. They probably should have moved on this thing a while ago. All right. Big four or four. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. Uh, a couple more points from Hard Knocks, episode three, just so-so. Uh, if someone's feelings did get hurt. Uh, I'm glad Quinn and Williams doesn't listen to Cofield and Company or actually do the show because all we do is call people fat, which is kind of funny. We're very, uh, we're kind of, we're very Trumpy in that fact. Uh, I do like the fact that Donald Trump is calling other people pudding fingers as he goes after Ron. Ron, it's just a great. It is another great nickname. And then just I don't know what I don't know what he calls Christy, but like they're all a bit zaftig and kind of chubby. So uh, fat on fat crime is is pretty cool, unless it's from a fat shamer, a thin person who's ripped and shredded. What is uh, Tampa's Mike Evans doing to my guy, Quinn Williams? He hurt his feelings. Hurting his self-confidence. I mean, he said that he's been trying to lose some weight in the offseason. He feels like he's looking good. And then you got Mike Evans, six foot five, 230. He's nice. going around calling him fat, man. He Must. wouldn't let it go the entire episode, Adam Candy. That's what you're missing out on. Where I would be upset, too, if someone just called me fat. You know, body dysmorphia is a real thing, okay? And he, even though he oh. was destroying that practice... Mike Evans had no right to call him fat. <laughs> yeah. He, it, listen, I, I, I mean, earlier this week, we talked about our, our friend DeMond to 5'9", uh, who, who is not, uh, you know, who, who has, has body questions that, that might not get answered. It's understandable. I get it. And listen, not everybody can be six foot two and spelt. It's, it's, not, wow. it's not just given out to the world it is earned and so i understand how, how some people not, feel it's not just you know, it's earned you know uh, do you uh as one jet was saying do you do you stay away i guess in this case from uh what is he calling it what's a charcuterie board what's the guy calling it uh he called it a charcuterie board or charcuterie board do you delve into the charcuterie board every once in a while oh yeah baby oh absolutely yeah 
meats, cheeses. I mean, frankly, whatever you put on there. Uh, the flip side of things, the this is how I eat, right? I was kind of out of some deli meat because I'm big on deli meat, and the slicer has not. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it. Slicer hasn't been going lately. Um, I was running low on meats. And the uh, the SO says to me this morning because basically I'm like you know Mikey likes it the little what was it life cereal little kid who you know just I'm a I'm a garbage can I like everything give it to Mikey yeah, he'll yeah. eat anything yeah he'll eat any that's it give it to Stevie he'll eat anything so she says uh, yeah I got some like uh, healthy like non flatbread but it's gonna go bad pretty soon because there's no preservatives in it so I I'm getting ready to come over here and I'm looking and I'm like okay all I got is provolone cheese and then like mini pieces of salami I'm like that'll work that was the sandwich so. Sort of a charcuterie feel on some non bread. Yeah, charcuterie board guy's also going to get cut. You don't think he's going to make it? No. He got the one little profile of he's got to struggle to make the team. Yeah. I, I will say, I actually, I seriously do love the charcuterie board, but some places are getting a little bit out of control with the price. I mean, candy, mod on here. Yeah, I, like I said, I got a slicer. I know, I know the labor it takes to go into this thing, it ain't that much. Like $34 for a charcuterie board with, you know, a couple of meats and cheeses and a little stinky provolone, a couple olives, some, uh, you know, roasted red peppers, 34 bucks. I'm going to tell you right now, the the idea of the charcuterie board went crazy for me, like over the top crazy <laughs> the last time I had one. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not going where you think it's going. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I was served honeycomb, like actual honeycomb wow. on okay. the char- charcuterie board. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, really? mind blown. Right. Yeah, yeah. Step right. forward. There are some advanced. Step forward. There, there are some Charge advanced stuff. Four. If you're gonna give me honeycomb. Yeah, there's some advanced stuff on there. There's sometimes they do throw some stuff on the. Uh, are we just gonna go with charcuterie moving forward? We don't talk about charcuterie boards very often, but because it's hard no, to it's say. Done. It, no, it, it, check on the list. Well, check for the candy show, but we've got 19 co-hosts on Cofield and Company, so every one of them is going to hear about the charcuterie board. Oh, you! Oh, please tell me that Adam Hill won't immediately buy into a charcuterie board. He, he yeah, absolutely, no question about it. <laughs> Number three. Hey, over there, we're talking about charcuterie boards and uh, whatever, any pasta. Um, one of the uh, new guys in New York, uh, moving to the days, I think he did nights, was, uh, what's his name, Salicata. He's actually doing the show with our boy, Brandon Tierney. And he said the other day, you're Giants, man. You're Giants, quote, legit Super Bowl contenders. Uh, he said the landscape of the NFC isn't very strong. I know their division is probably the toughest challenge, but I think the Giants are legit Super Bowl contenders. Do you believe that? And how much will Isaiah Simmons help that? Or is he just a long-range project? They just traded for him. Uh, from the Cardinals, a uh, former high pick. Steve, when did they legalize narcotics in New York? <laughs> I was unaware that uh, you were now allowed to partake Too in much, those huh? sort of high-powered drugs uh, that Sal is having. Uh, look, man, I I was thrilled with my team last year. Nine wins, Brian Dable, coach of the year. It was all fantastic. I don't think the Giants are winning nine games this year. I don't think they're competing for the NFC or the Super Bowl at all. They had so many things go their way last year. They were 8-4 and four in one-score games. All of the breaks went their direction. I'm happy they have Darren Waller. I think it gives them a threat they didn't have in the past. But let's be honest here. They got a soft schedule. They got a lot of bounces that went their way. And I don't think the Giants are a playoff team this year. Do you like the trade? The Isaiah Simmons trade makes sense because you trade a seventh and you hope for the best. 
right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who at one point was thought of as this future type defender, right? Positionless hybrid guy that you could put anywhere on the field. The problem is that he went in there with the new head coach and announced that he was changing positions, that he was going to be in the secondary now, and he got cooked repeatedly in the preseason. So he's unwilling to play elsewhere. He wasn't good where he wanted to play. I think the Giants need to be the change of scenery team that says to him, hey, wake up call time. If you don't do what we're trying to get you to do, it's not going to work. Isaiah Simmons, the eighth pick in the 2020 draft. Number two. Which brings us to Trey Lance. A former top five pick who looks to be in a little bit of trouble. Doesn't mean his career is over. Um, I would trade for Trey Lance, but I'm not in the NFL. Uh, right now, I'm sure John Lynch and Little Shanny are hoping they can get some value for him because they've dropped him to the number three quarterback. This is not a good look for a couple of guys, but a special, especially uh, Little Shanny, who they were very blustery, very blustery around the time of the draft. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, you know, Shanahan and his personnel judgment sometimes ain't that great. Nope. Because as good as my, as I almost called, I knew I was going to do it. I almost called him Mike Shanahan. As good as Kyle Shanahan has been as a schemer, as a play caller, in terms of maximizing what's in front of him when he really has not had any sort of high-level quarterback for the time he's been in San Francisco you have to wonder how they've handled this from a personnel perspective. I mean, we know that theoretically John Lynch handles the offseason and Mike and uh, Kyle Shanahan controls what goes on with the roster with the 53 man, but they're taking Trey Lance, a guy who they said to the world is our guy for the future in trading three first rounders to go up and get with the number three pick. They said he's our guy last season. He was on the field at the beginning of the year when they were the first time were ready to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. And then he gets hurt, and a guy in Brock Purdy who was Mr. Irrelevant, end of the seventh round, comes in and, let's be honest, has a great season. But all of a sudden, Brock Purdy is the guy, and Trey Lance can't beat out Sam Darnold in camp. So even if you don't want him there, from a personnel perspective, you're tanking his value. You are absolutely destroying whatever trade value you might have on Trey Lance. So from a personnel perspective, what are you doing? What are you doing? You thought only three years ago, you thought this guy was good enough to stake the future draft capital of this team on for years to come. And now all of a sudden you got him into camp and you realized, oh, you know what? He wasn't as good as we thought he was. Well, even if so, keep some of the damn mystique around the guy for some other team who might want to go out there and trade for him. That's what I don't understand. I, I'm fine with bringing in Sam Darnold because reality within the organization is, hey, you know, Darnold can be better right now for the team. He's more ready than Trey Lance. But what is the purpose of announcing Darnold's the two and Trey Lance is the three? Like you just said, play the illusion game. I mean, I guess around the league they know, but at least play it a little bit. Um, I would trade for Trey Lance. There are – I don't know if people have looked at some of the situations out there where the expectation is to win and the quarterbacks behind the guy on a lot of teams are scary. Um, and if I can bring in Trey Lance and try to use him as a reclamation project, I'm not going to trade a whole lot for him, but I would trade for him. And you know why I'm right on this? Because our buddy Dangerous Danny in the morning, who uh, I'll say brings a regular guy feel when it comes to analyzing sports. I don't know if that's an insult or not. Maybe that's a good thing. 
Uh, Danny tweeted out, who's going to trade for a third overall pick from two years ago whose coach doesn't trust him enough to be QB2? Who cares? It ain't working out there. It doesn't mean his career is over. Am I off on this? Is Trey Lance just unsalvageable at this point? We don't know, and that's yep. why San Francisco crapping on the guy makes no sense. Look, Trey Lance barely played in college, and Trey Lance has barely played as a pro, and nothing that we've seen from him has said, this guy sucks. We've looked at Zach Wilson. We've had plenty of chance to see Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson sucks. But Trey Lance, the guy who was taken <laughs> right behind him? Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. We, yeah. we have not seen enough of him to have any idea of that. And if we're supposed to trust that Kyle Shanahan is some sort of offensive genius and he can't get anything out of Trey Lance, then who should we be questioning? I don't think it's Trey Lance. We need to be questioning Kyle Shanahan. So if I'm the Raiders right now yep. and I have nothing behind. Whoa. Ha ha. Behind who? AOC? Aiden O'Connell. Okay. <laughs> if I have nothing behind Aiden O'Connell and Brian Hoyer is my other quarterback, why would I not create a little backup quarterback competition between Aiden O'Connell and Trey Lance? You agree? Uh, maybe not for the Raiders. Jimmy G, you don't want to do that to Jimmy G again. But Trey Lance, the, the, the DeMond School of PR, wants me to clear this up. Politics, man. Just tweet that out. It's all politics. I man. remember Trey Lance, who now may be on the trading block, number three quarterback with the Niners, was drafted ahead of... Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Panay Sewell, Patrick Sertan, Devontae Smith, Justin Fields, oh, mama, Micah Parsons, and Rashawn Slater. And now three years into his career, the Niners appear to have uh, given up, and they freaking blew this pick. and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, Candy. We have a little discussion coming up in about 10 minutes. Kobe Bryant Day. We'll get into that. Uh, but we'll reignite the flame. We got some more NFL to get to. A lot more NFL to get to with all these running back stories with uh, Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor. We are just talking about Trey Lance and if anyone's going to trade for him, I think someone will, but it's still egg on the face of this Niner organization, which is very arrogant, was very cocky and playing games before that draft, um, You know, along with the speculation that the pick could be Mac Jones instead. They took Trey Lance, and it just has not worked out as they dropped him to number three. So we had a John Fisher interview that has been panned widely around baseball and especially in the markets that are most closely connected to John Fisher, the owner of the A's. That's us. And our $380 million from everyone in the state of Nevada and Clark County, that contribution, plus tax breaks that are going to push it in excess of billions down the road. And Oakland folks have just flipped out because they saw what John Fisher said to Mick Akers, which wasn't a whole lot of anything. As you mentioned earlier, he wouldn't answer anything directly. I'm hoping that some eyes were opened by this. I really hope the, the other owners have a little self-respect. Now, my fear is they're going to look at this as a deal to get done, to let the A's do it for the greater good. Look at all the money that Clark County and the state of Nevada gave the A's. Now, that will be the bottom line for any market that wants baseball or wants to keep baseball. They have to match that. So let's just push it through and don't worry about a relocation fee. This is going to work for us down the road. 
But I like this one from a uh, Shana Rubin on John Fisher's interview yesterday, which, again, he didn't answer anything directly, and it was a lot of the same material he's been using in Oakland, which is befuddling. Bruh, you got your deal. The dream has been realized. You get to come here and potentially invest in the team, have a good team, and make lots of money. But that wasn't the vibe. It was still kind of the what was us vibe. Uh, yeah, Shana Rubin said, this all feels like a very expected quote. We're not broke or cheap. We promised to her. And then I thought this was really interesting. She also said the A's still have to convince MLB that they're the right guys to take a viable market like Las Vegas. MLB owners may see it more beneficial, lucrative in the long term to save Vegas for a paying expansion team. Am I getting too excited? Are the juices flowing a little too strong over that? Is that a little too hopeful? Or is what I said on the front end that we set a standard that helps baseball a lot more and they ain't so worried about pissing away this market? Well, what you have to keep in mind is that driving this whole process is my man. You know him, you love him. Oh, no. No, I, I oh, no. Even wait. I can keep myself under control here for, for a day talking about oh, Bobby. Bobby, 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 baseball. Okay. But (laughs) Rob Manford wants this to happen. Rob Manford wants this to happen. And I don't think the owners are going against Rob Manford. I think what ends up happening here is that they try to ensure, whether publicly or privately, that one of two things happens. That John Fisher is going to sell this team once they get to Vegas or that there is some measure of accountability for what happens if he runs the franchise into the ground again in Las Vegas. And I think that's the only way that the owners are going to be totally cool with this. But I also don't think that they're willing to go up against Rob Manfred and tank it entirely. Because we know Manfred wants this done. Yeah, Baby, when he wants it done, you're getting done. (laughs) And we haven't discussed it much. But baseball did put in some safeguards. Like, rev sharing at the bottom of the league is not guaranteed anymore. And and at least in the A's case, they had to have something in writing or the rev sharing was going to continue to go down their percentage of it. Uh, And the other one is, tanking really doesn't pay off anymore. Have you seen the MLB restrictions they put with a sort of lottery and the rules that basically you can't go beyond two years getting top five picks. After that, uh, you're limited in the lottery. So, you, you know, if you're like – because I'd have to look back at the Astros. Did the Astros have a run where they had like five straight top five picks? They're not – that. like if the, the A's plan is, oh, we're just going to suck, we'll just keep piling up top five picks, baseball won't allow it anymore. I think the other owners had enough of that. Like you got to try, okay? And when you don't try, you're not getting freaking top picks. We're penalizing you. No, that was like G.I. Joe with all the tanks uh, in Houston. That was year after year (laughs) after year that created the opportunity for them to become what they are right now in getting guys like Correa and guys like Springer, et cetera, et cetera. But now you look at what's going on here with the A's, and you're right. You just said it. They were told they had to have a deal in place or they were done with revenue sharing. That was it. Rob Manford made clear you've got to get something done, and that's why I think this deal ultimately happens one way or the other. And the difference from baseball to, say, basketball, where look at the NBA. They put in anti-tanking rules, right? They made it so the top three picks essentially have the same chance of getting the number one player, right? The bottom three teams, top three picks. And so 
That didn't stop teams this year for tanking for Wemby. The difference is there isn't a player in Major League Baseball where a player comes out of high school or out of college and is that kind of instant impact. It's just not incentivized the same way for a Major League Baseball team in the course of one season to go and tank. So that's where the incentives, like you just mentioned, Steve, come in, where you can't do it year after year after year to try to build up a core that then you can keep for a cheap price and try to win. Yeah, the crazy thing with the Astros, just looking back now, they had number one, number one, number one, number two. I think it started in 2011. Uh, they got Correa. Then they drafted two pitchers who absolutely did not work out, and then the number two pick they had was Bregman. So they got some building blocks. But, you know, it also it continues throughout the rest of the draft. So you have high picks in the second and third and beyond. So I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know why John Fisher did this interview. I don't know why he cried poor to the Vegas market. I absolutely, The way I read it, because uh, another one he kind of did not answer directly, hey, when you come here, do you see the payroll limitations going bye-bye? He immediately went into, well, my family is going to be investing $1 billion into the stadium project. Oh, and then you're like, wait, wait, is that all that you're going to do? And then the, the picture he painted, I thought, sounded like, it's on you guys. You know, the payroll is determined by attendance, concessions, parking, merchandising, like – Wait, I, I never heard that from Bill Foley that we had to spend to have a good team here or he wasn't going to be able to do it. Like, I don't, how do you, how do you, because essentially this was an intro to the market. Now, I think he loses a lot of the effect by doing it in print with the paper. And I think the RJ does have some sway, but, you know, doing it with a televised interview or radio interview, I think has more impact. And maybe this is what he wanted that it might be buried. Um, I don't, I don't. I just don't see the positive effect that he thought was going to come from coming in and being like, Ugh, dragging the right leg and being like, well, we're still kind of poor from the last place, and we hope things will get better by 2030. I'll, let me, I'm going to deal with two angles of this, Steve. I'm going to go where <laughs> you were first with this and talk about John Fisher, a man who is worth $2.4 billion. That is the net worth. Trying to come in here and say it's up to you all to figure out how much we can pay this team. No, it works the other <laughs> way around. Doing? You give us a team that right. we feel like paying for. Right. You give us a team where we want to wear the jerseys, where we want to wear the hats, where we want to go out to the game and we want to <laughs> buy five beers because we're super excited to be out there. But you know what? The fact that he's able to put that out in the market brings to me to my second point on this. He chose an outlet where he knew he would get zero pushback. They chose the softest landing possible with a reporter who's been nothing but a toady for the A's for the last couple of years. And they give this soft interview where all you do is you hand over the floor to John Fisher to say whatever you want. No pushback, no anything. It's on the reporter. It's on the RJ. Just as much as it's on John Fisher for saying these things, you want to claim to be a media outlet that holds people to account. You run features like, what are they hiding about local government? What are you hiding letting this guy come in here and talk like this with no pushback? Yeah, like I said earlier, the claim that from John Fisher, we're going to lose $40 million in 2023, and then that was not challenged, and it was used in the headline, which made it look factual. It wasn't a quote. It was just, here's the headline. A's will lose $40 million. And I'll go back and check it. I don't know if it said A say they'll lose $40 million, but you, you got to challenge that. Come on. Uh, I've got an article pulled up from Forbes that just Murray Brown, the, the author of that article, right. just 
straight up demolished that claim that they're losing. Oh, this is recent. Down. Yeah, because I, I, I know there's been stories in the past that have kind of you know clapped down on the A's. No, so what do you say about the forty million dollar loss? Well, if you go with the one point set the one point seven six billion annually divided by thirty teams, that's between all of the TV all the TV revenue they right. have. That's between Fox, ESPN, TBS. That's $58.6 million alone that goes to each team right. from the TV deal. And that's their payroll. Roughly, that's their payroll. And we're not here. talking about the gate that they also mentioned. No. That the merchandise that yeah. you get that's also divided by the, 30 They teams. do get rev sharing. They got, I, think they're getting nine, I think they're getting $9 million this year. They, you know, the, the max was 36 Go ahead, Candy. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to add to that. If you want to hear more about that, uh, go check out the podcast of the Press Box from yesterday morning. I was on with Tyler Bischoff. We had Maury Brown on, yeah. and we talked to him all about that article, and he went in-depth eviscerating the idea that John Fisher was losing money on this team. Yeah. Well, I'm going to admit some shame here. It's a lot of shame. I might need music. It might get sad. Uh you mentioned John Fisher is worth how much? Two point three billion. Uh, two point four. But what's okay. you know what's a sure million? What does it matter at that point? Well, it matters a lot. Uh, we gave three eighty, so all that matters. Um, and that fortune, a lot of it's from the Gap and Old Navy. After I read the story and I saw that he was going to lose forty million dollars, I did go to OldNavy.com and I went shopping. I crap you not. I got some. Slim fitting pants, believe it or not. It's going to be a lot of bulging and squeezing. Where? They're beautiful pants. Where? (laughs) And I got another. But the good news is, I got another Hawaiian pattern shirt on clearance. So I'm trying to help the A's. You asked for help. I gave you 79 bucks yesterday. Let's go. That goes to a player. Field and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. It's always a bittersweet day. Always a bittersweet day. 824, right, Candy? I'm sure you're uh, celebrating it today. We are at the uh, the Cofield household. Kobe Bryant Day. Are you feeling the love, my friend? Are you feeling the love? Yeah, it's a little tricky when we're going to talk about uh, uh, a man who passed away as tragically as, as Kobe Bryant did. Um, the, the, the circumstances around that are always going to be tragic, man. Uh, just, are you feeling love, Steve? Are you are you really are you deep in? Um, I am. I'm wearing a Kobe hat today. I have an eight hat. Uh, the SO is also a gigantic Laker fan and Kobe fan, like really, really big Kobe fan, and. So she's very much into it. So I hear about it. Like I've heard about it leading up here for about two weeks. Was it Kobe's birthday yesterday? Is it they're right near each other? I think it's real close. Um, yeah, I, I know Kobe has a, a tricky legacy, and I don't think we have to reexamine the, the the case in Colorado again. But for me, oftentimes when someone passes away, but especially passes away young, I don't think you get. Maybe when they're living, you don't get the full scope of who they are and what they were doing and could be doing. So that's what hits me with Kobe. It's crazy that he's gone. It's crazy that he died that young. I do believe he was going to make a major impact. The more you hear uh, stories about his impact on basketball and other basketball players and the sort of competitor he was, um, that's pretty special. So, I don't know, you feel bad about it? Like, is it such a tarnished legacy that you're like, yeah, we can't celebrate this guy? 
it's not that I don't feel like we can celebrate him. It's that I don't feel like we I don't feel like we talk in complete terms about Kobe Bryant and and it, it feels to me particularly strong among Lakers fans where there's a reverence that I don't get. And really it's a reverence that isn't afforded to Shaq from the same era. No. It's a reverence that's that's different for Kobe Bryant, who obviously spent his entire career with the franchise and I get all that and I get the fact that when we be, when we talk about him and his daughter Jana, like there's a tragedy there that you absolutely cannot separate out. But I also feel like we cannot separate out what happened in Colorado and the fact that I think what happens is we talk about what was a criminal sexual assault charge as if it never happened because it was ultimately dropped because there was some sort of settlement around it and maybe the case wasn't as strong as they initially thought. We don't know. But I feel like to the, to the person looking from the outside who's not a Lakers fan who just was never trapped up in it the same way, there's still going to be some question in the legacy of Kobe Bryant as to what happened in Colorado. And to me... That just makes it harder to square the level of reverence because now what we're talking about is there's going to be a statue of Kobe Bryant outside Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles. And to me, that level, when we talk about the other guys who are out there, it's Magic, it's Kareem, it's Wayne Gretzky. Those are different histories. Those are they're very different legacies, different histories that don't feel as complex to me. But again, really, I'm not a Lakers fan. I don't get it. I, I know. Go ahead with magic. Go well, ahead I, with I magic. think I think actually it's a good refresher if you're watching Winning Time season two and you see the way you know Magic was uh, off the floor, especially early in the season. You know, there's a lot of a lot of check marks in the resume that don't don't feel good there either. I, that's absolutely fair. And if we want to put Kobe in the same box of extramarital affairs and screwing around, then yeah, for sure. But that's not where it is. And that's where the legacy has been left. It's been left at, well, we don't know, right? It's been left at, well, it was dropped. Well, that's, that's hard for me to square up. But again, I'm not a Lakers fan. I don't have the same. And I'm right. really coming at this from a perspective of if you're a Lakers fan, educate me. What is it about Kobe that is so far above and beyond? Because the public persona that most of us who weren't Lakers fans got was that this guy's kind of a jerk, right? Like, like we didn't get a warm and fuzzy feeling off Kobe Bryant, right? I remember reading a Rick Riley article from a while ago. Rick Riley basically spent a day with Kobe Bryant where they were walking in and Kobe Bryant said to him, put the mean mug on. That's, that's the impression that a lot of us had. Come on, I know you have something to say on it, but we'll get to it after the five o'clock. The five o'clock hour starts. I got more to say on it. All right, week zero is here. I keep talking about week zero and mentioning the countdown of week zero. It's here. It's here. So we get a lot more lines. We get the games rolling out for college football. Week zero is a college football reference. Week one is next week. Week zero is this week and uh, Pro Sports Gambler. Uh, also in a bunch of contests, Brad Powers is up on Cofield and Company. Brad, what's up, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me. So tell me about the circuit contest, because I saw that being uh, kind of pumped and pimped this week. What's going on there? I Oh, wow. Uh, I- invitation only for that one, 16 guys, um, mainly national columnists and whatnot. Uh, privileged to be a part of it this year, uh, you know, Zero down and uh, one in sixteen chance at winning twenty five grand. Uh, sign me up for it. So uh, basically, uh, you know, you pick five college games each week to be your totals. Uh, do Friday, 
uh, and uh, we'll promote it, uh, you know, on Matt Human's show on Beeson uh, at Circa. There you go. So uh, kind of a reboot of the old Stardust contest. Candy, yep. can you remember, did they do, I think we could do, because I was actually in the Stardust, the square chair, I was actually in the uh, Stardust one year, years ago. Candy, can you remember, did they do college and pro? I really don't remember. I don't from, remember. From back then. Don't that's try how well to tell I me did. you're not sharp. That's, that's how, yeah, well, uh, I, I did, I actually did win one matchup and then I got uh, booted in the the second I, round. I, I feel like if it's just college, Brad, uh, you're a favorite in this thing. Nice job. Nice job getting in. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, my track record historically, I would argue that I'll probably either finish second or last. That's usually how it goes with okay. me. Are you in Tony Miller's contest over at the Golden Nugget? I will be. Uh, I'm actually broadcasting live at Surgata, uh tomorrow, so I'll enter uh, tomorrow. Nice. Very nice. Yes, I was uh, talking to Tony Miller. and was. You're very respected in that house. I'll just tell you that. And you guys have had some battles. You and Tony, because he's also a very good bookmaker, so that that'll be a that's a good contest to get into. All right, well, let's start talking about some of the angles uh, coming up here in Week Zero, um, and even in Week One, because we've seen some numbers move. We've talked a lot about Ohio and San Diego State being a really competitive game in Week Zero. Um, Ohio had an update a quarterback, right? It was this uh, sort of a surprise with Curtis Rourke. I don't think it was a surprise. I mean, all indications almost all summer, all fall camp was, you know, Rourke was going to come back healthy from injury. Uh, it just got confirmation this week. That's why we saw some early week money continuing to pour in on Ohio. I thought it was a little misguided, and maybe we've seen finally that buyback point uh, today because San Diego State Marketplace got some money. Uh, you know, numbers matter, folks. I mean, anything above three, I think Ohio was worth a play. I can tell you today I laid two with San Diego State, so – uh, that's where I'm at. You can still find that uh, that two number at South Point and the Circa right now. And uh, I'm not saying go hog wild with it, but yeah, I'm showing some value here uh, on that one. And I think the line closes three. Do you get blowback from some uh, people up, say on Twitter? Uh, you know, where you talk about, hey, I bet it, but I might not bet it now. Like, can people process that when they're like, hey, I want to pick right now. Let's go. Blowback on Twitter? Never. What, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, all the time. I mean, I, I try not to, you know, it, it, it's tough because, you know, I, I do bet almost every game. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's tough not to talk about those bets because I do bet every game. But, uh, look, week one's unique. Uh, and the fact that these lines have been up, I mean, come on, three-plus months at this point. So, uh, you know, they, I think they get, generally speaking, they get tired of me saying, well, I bet the game, but I wouldn't bet it now. But Right. I mean, what's new? What's the new information? Games haven't been played the last three months other than maybe an injury in fall camp or some late-breaking weather news or whatnot. I mean, nothing's changed other than my power ratings are what they were, you know, in the middle of summer. So, of course, I bet it when I thought there was some value. Lines usually move with me, were with my bets. So, uh, you know, I mean, people ask me right now, a day or two before games, they, hey, what, what's there to bet? And I usually tell them, well, I mean, I bet every game, but right now, man, maybe one or two bets. Uh, we've broken down Navy Notre Dame uh, several times. A lot of it on the Notre Dame side. Um, tell people what you know what's going on with Navy. Obviously, there was a regime change there. Is there a difference in style of play? Because uh, you know traditionally Notre Dame has had you know some real competitive matchups against Navy. But what happens now with a change in leadership? Yeah, well, the defensive coordinator took over Newberry, and he'd been there the last four years. So I don't expect much change on the defense side of the ball. They're super aggressive, and I think they'll be aggressive against Notre Dame because it was so successful against the Irish in last year, the second half, where they basically played cover zero, and Notre Dame couldn't even forget scoring. They couldn't even get a first down. I think one in the entire second half. So 
that's the expectation that I think maybe on the defensive side of the ball, the change would be on the offense side of the ball where Navy's going to you know, throw a little bit more, a little more spread, a little more quick pass game uh, with their new offense corner. There's some familiarity there because the, the OC comes from Kennesaw State where Newberry, the new head coach, was the defensive coordinator up back in the day. So uh, it's intriguing. I mean, we'll see how much they throw. I still think they'll have plenty of spread, you know, option principles. Do you believe, uh, you know, we talked about Sam Hartman, hell, even before he landed at Notre Dame with the speculation that he would land at yeah. Notre Dame. Do you believe that Hartman can take full advantage of the opportunity, meaning does he have the weapons at wide receiver that are up to snuff? Yeah, I'm not sure that he does. I mean, if there's been one weakness in fall camp, uh, it's been the Notre Dame wide receivers, which probably shouldn't come as too big of a surprise. I mean, it's been a weakness as far as the recruiting the last three, four years. So it's certainly a question mark. But my goodness, though, a good quarterback can make relatively green wide receivers look good. And uh, I do think Sam Hartman, as far as the quarterback position goes, is one of the biggest upgrades in all of college football this year compared to what Notre Dame had a year ago. And because Notre Dame had terrible receivers a year ago, and so go look at the last half of that schedule. I mean, Notre Dame scored at least 35 points in six of the last seven games. They did have Michael Mayer, though. So that, that, did, that, that did cover things up a little bit. Uh, I mean, do they have the next Michael Mayer in the system? Do they have a tight end who can go out and you know, catch 35 or 40 passes? No, they don't. Uh, I mean, obviously, Michael Mayer, I mean, in a very tradition-rich position group in Notre Dame history, he was arguably the best tight end in, in the history of Notre Dame football. So big downgrade there. But... I, you know, as much as I just got done saying I, I don't like the wide receivers, they are better than last year. I mean, they're, they're a year older. Kid, a couple kids to look out for. I mean, I know I'm dying to get in the weeds here, but Jane Thomas will be the leader. Keep an eye on a six foot five kid, Tobias Merriweather, over the top. And then a true freshman, Jane Greathouse. I mean, he had 10 catches in the spring game and has done nothing uh, but, but impress all in, in fall camp. There are no weeds, my friend, on Cofield and Company. Now, when the college football betting experts on Brad Powers, Brad Powers seven up on Twitter. BradPowersSports.com is the website. He's up with uh, Demond and Candy and Cofield here on this Thursday. I actually uh, I did bet plus thirty one with San Jose State. I like San Jose State to be stout enough to not allow seventy five points, and I do think it's a little tough to lay a big number when the quarterback on the other side is pretty good. And I actually do think. Chevin Cordero is the best quarterback in the Mountain West Conference. Am I crazy to take 31? Yeah, you are. Uh, because <laughs> 32 is available right now in South. Ah! If there's one, one thing I'm going to preach to anybody, it's just shop. I mean, that's yeah. all it is. There ain't really anything to do with it. Uh, this, this, you know, thing other than shop, find the best number. And come on, let's just let's think this one out loud. What public's going to bet on what? Game day? Is the public going to bet San Jose State, or are they going to bet the defending Heisman Trophy winner that has bright lights, offense? They're going to bet USC. So I think you made a mistake, you know, not waiting on that one. I think you're going to get a better number on the dog. But when I, you know, do I am I finding a lot of value either way? No, not really. Uh, a lot of money on the over this week. Uh, I'm with you. It's tough laying a huge number uh, in week zero. I'm not even gonna, I did bet USC, but it was at a much different number. I'll put it that way. I like getting the Brad Powers. It's very like a muted lecture, but I deserve that. Um, like we talk about all the time, I'm a pizza money better, and I get excited, and I just start betting without thinking about line value. And I got excited. I'm like, week zero, I got to bet a game. But you're right. I could have waited another day and a half. That was pretty stupid. So 
I deserve that tongue lashing. It was a nice tongue lashing. Um, can I look ahead to Arizona State season? What do you think of what they did at quarterback? Uh, Jaden Rashada is very well-funded by someone because he bounced from program to program with his verbals. Uh, were you surprised by that decision? That uh, looks like they're going to go with him at ASU as a starter. I, you know what? I wasn't. I mean, Drew Pine was probably going to be the starter, but he got hurt. He pulled a hamstring in a scrimmage on August the 12th, and it kind of left him no option. He was either going to go with the you know the former walk-on, the Borgay kid that did start at the end of last year, or you know the future is now. You you, you, you got a first-year coach. Expectations aren't that high. Uh, you got a very talented quarterback in Rashad, and why not just start the you know the, the process of building up your program right from the get-go? So, not particularly surprised. I will say this. Uh, it makes me, especially when you look at some key games for them, not necessarily week one, they play an FCS opponent, but then they have Fresno State and Oklahoma State in weeks two and three. Uh, th- those games are a little dicey, uh, I think, with a true freshman starting. I've got to ask, I saw the tweet that was put out there by the volume. You called Arch Manning a four-star prospect with a five-star last name. Oh, so Quinn Ewers, he's Ooh. going to be the starter there in your eyes. But how good is Quinn Ewers, and what is that going to do to Texas win total? Because I don't know how good Texas actually is. Yeah, I mean, they have to be better this year, or Sarkis is going to be on the chopping block. I mean, when you look at the overall talent, uh, starting at the quarterback position, it's just not Quinn Ewers. Uh, you know, Arch Manning is really, I would guess right now, at least post-spring, he's third string behind Lake Murphy. Uh, Ewers has all the talent, just as much talent, if not more, than Arch Manning. He just wasn't consistent last year, so we'll see if he can be more consistent this year. Plenty of weapons, even though they lose a guy like B. John Robinson, a running back, they still are loaded there. They welcome in another five-star true freshman. The wide receiver core is as good as they've had in recent history there. Uh, tight end room's good. Offensive line, I think, is the most improved group on offense. Defense actually made major strides last year. I think they'll keep it up again this year. What I'm getting at is Texas is the best team in the Big 12 by a margin, too. We're talking a neutral field. Texas is at least six points better than anybody else in the Big 12. So if Texas doesn't win the Big 12 this year for the first time since 2009, it will be an extra, a massive disappointment as far as I'm concerned. Because I bet over the win total, I bet them to win the Big 12, and I even slid some futures on not only on Texas winning the national title, but also viewers to win the Heisman. Last minute here with Brad Powers, bradpowersports.com, at bradpowers7, up on Twitter. Uh, one game that moved a lot was Utah and Florida. That thing was sitting at seven forever. Now it's four and a half. Uh, what's going on at quarterback for Utah? And are you now looking at the season for the Utes and going, yeah, I'm not so sure this is going to be a team that can win nine or ten games? Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's the most actionable info I can give anybody in this segment. Uh, let, let, read the tea leaves. It looks like Cam Rising's not going to play against Florida. You know, uh, five plus line, five point uh, plus the line movement already, and once it gets ruled out, which I think will be the case, it'll move even further. So, what's that do? Utah goes from uh, you know almost a sure win against Florida, where they're going to be about a ten point favorite, to now it's a field goal game. Then week two, they're playing on the road against Baylor, where they, they'll go from a road favorite to a road underdog. That has massive implications as far as the season win total goes. So, I made this bet within the last twenty four hours. I went down to Circa. And bet under eight and a half wins on Utah. I think that's a really profitable play right now. Brad, you're awesome. Good luck this weekend. Hope you come out with a uh, opening weekend windfall, and we'll talk next week. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, he's uh, Brad's great. One, he puts a lot of his tickets up on social media. Um, he's also very honest about when he doesn't do well. He's not a hey, I'm only going to brag when I win. You'll hear about it uh, when he loses, and uh, he does send me a list of different picks. Um, 
he's nice enough to do that with his service. And he did go down, and he did throw a significant amount of money on the under on um, Utah. And, yeah, that, that whole you know picture changes for that team. And, you know, unless the other quarterbacks can pick up the slack and get a win or two coming out of the gates with a rising injured. Let's go to the 5 o'clock hour with a prize giveaway, though. Duran uh, Duran. Uh, future past tours playing over at T-Mobile. AXS.com is where you can grab the tickets. They're still awesome. I saw them probably four years ago. They were great live. Tremendous. You know, one of the iconic bands of the 80s. T-Mobile this weekend. 364-1100. DeMond's got some tickets. 364-1100. Duran Duran. Caller number seven.